You know, many of us have something that holds us back from faithfully trusting God, but we must trust God to get where we need to go. Pastor Chris shares a few things we must understand to move into that fully trusting relationship and take us into our next journey of bridging the gap. Here's Chris. Wow. You guys, the, the more I, the more I, I, I reflect on this and, and prepare for this and share on this, the more excited I get. It's like, man, God has really placed us here in this time for this purpose to have this impact in our community, and it is going to be amazing. I, I really do believe that, that bridge number two, the daycare center, is going to impact hundreds and eventually thousands of lives uh, in our community and, uh, and, and open up people's hearts to the church, more importantly to Jesus. And we get to be a part of that. So exciting stuff coming. God is expanding and extending our reach and multiplying our impact. And um, this is just the beginning. So if you're joining us for the first time, we are in a series called Bridging the Gap, and we are working on four bridges, four projects. I reviewed those in the video. Um, and then we are on this kind of journey together of spiritual transformation uh, as we reflect on who gets to be king of our lives, who gets to be Lord. Uh, and, and really, my, my goal for every one of us at the end of this is that we have wrestled, truly wrestled with God uh, in a good way and uh, have looked inside our hearts and, uh, and things that we have taken for granted, things that we are like, oh, of course I've surrendered that to God, that, that maybe, maybe we get a little uncomfortable along the way because God's putting His finger in different places of our, in our lives and calling us to surrender again. And so that's, that's this series, this Bridging the Gap series. This week we're talking about trust. Last week we talked about transformation. And trust is a huge part of allowing God to transform our lives, isn't it? If you don't trust Him, you won't allow Him to transform your life. Uh, and trust is so very important. Now, another word for trust is what? When we're talking about faith or when we're talking about spirituality and God. It's faith, right? Faith is trusting God enough to do what He says, even when we ne don't necessarily understand what He's up to. Like, just trusting God not just when... We're like, okay, I can see this, this, and this, and I can look out ahead, and that makes sense. Okay, now I'll trust God. But when God calls us to do something that we can't see how it's going to turn out, we just know that's what He said to do, and we believe that He He's good for it. That's that's that kind of trust, right? Um, and and that kind of trust is unbelievably powerful in our lives. It brings peace. Anybody watching The Chosen? Anyone? handful of us. If you're not watching The Chosen or you've not and you're looking for something to binge, The Chosen is phenomenal. It is a, it's a Jesus uh, mini-series. They have three seasons out now. Um, I'm generally unimpressed with Jesus mini-series. I like Jesus. I just don't like the way they do the series typically. This one's really, really good. Uh, really good. Uh, but there's this one scene, I forget what season it is in, but Jesus is off doing ministry somewhere and the disciples are camped out in the 
countryside, and they're running out of food, which they couldn't just run to the grocery store back then, like food was a big deal, where we're going to get our next meal. Um, And they're getting persecution and criticism from the religious leaders and all over the place, and things are, you know, from their perception, not going well. And so the, the scene is they're, they're standing around in camp. They're arguing with one another. They're kind of freaking out. What are we going to eat? Oh, my goodness, the people, you know, the religious leaders are against us. Jesus is off somewhere doing whatever Jesus is doing. And Jesus walks into camp. And when he walks into camp, he walks up and goes, what's going on, guys? And they kind of go, blah, all over them. They, you know, we're worried about this. We're worried about that. What about this? And how are we going to make it, Jesus? Ever been there? Yeah, we all have. We all have. And Jesus says, and don't quote me on this because I, I, I didn't go back and actually look up the scene to get the exact words, but he says something like this. It just, it so hit me when he said it. Guys, if you freak out every time something goes wrong, we're never going to get anything done. Deep breath, I got this. Right? And that's the peace, not what the disciples had in that moment, but that peace when you know in your bones that God's got this. He's got you. And if he calls you to do something, if he, uh, if he, his word says to live a certain way and you choose to live that way, he's got it. Even if it looks like it's going to lead you into some turmoil or difficulty in the short term. And that is a life of faith. And that is the life that I know God wants for every single one of us in this life and the next. And that in, in some ways is what this series is all about. Trust, true true trust, faith, trusting God enough to do what he says, even when it doesn't make sense, and then believing in the depths of our being, he's got it. Even if everything looks like it's falling apart around us, he's still got it, and to be able to have that peace, it all comes back to trust. Hey, if you open up your book, if you still, if you brought your, your Bridging the Gap notebook back or you picked one up today, we're going to open up to page 26 is where the notes are for today's, today's teaching. There it is. Week three, trust. I encourage you to write things down as, as God speaks to you uh, through the message or through the week. Use this as a study guide. Go back, spend time, read the scriptures, write down your thoughts. Let God speak to you. And sometimes that takes slowing down a little bit and spending some time with Him. All right, point number one of the message is this. Until you trust God with everything, you will trust Him with nothing. Until you trust God with everything, you will trust Him with nothing. You're always kind of chasing your tail. And here's the situation. If you don't trust God, you will not obey God. Because obeying God will eventually lead you to doing something you don't want to do. I don't want to forgive them. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. Right? They don't deserve it, but he says forgive. And then when you do, there's all this blessing that comes, this release, this like, and whatever it is he's calling you to do, and you kind of get in this wrestling match with him, and I don't want to. If if you don't trust God, you're not going to do it. That's simple. But trusting God enough to do what he says requires that we understand a few key things. And I want to go over these things because this is really important. And some of us are are there, some of us are there some of the time, and some of us aren't there at all. Uh, But my prayer for us today is that by the end of this message, we will all at least be asking 
God to make these things true in our heart. And the first thing you need to understand about God is this. He's smarter than you are. I know. <laughs> I know. It takes a little humility to accept that, but God is smarter than you. Jesus is smarter than you. Jesus was the smartest person who ever lived. God, the, the creator of the universe, the person who, who put into existence and thought up everything we see from, from the tiniest piece of matter that exists all the way up to the universe is smarter than you. It's true. Did you know you, you, DNA? Everybody knows what DNA is, right? It's the genetic code that makes you you. It's, it's a specific, and so human beings have DNA. We have human DNA, and then each one of us have a unique code that makes us us, right? Well, every animal and living creature on the planet has this code built into its cells. It's so small, like how efficient and this was before IBM. How efficient. So it, it fits inside of a cell. If you were to take a sample from every species in the world that's ever existed of DNA, it would all fit into a teaspoon. I mean, that's like God's smarter than you are. Now, I know you think you're really smart, but He's smarter than you are. And you have to understand this if you're going to trust Him. Second thing you need to know about God, get it deep inside your heart, is that God loves you. He loves you. He loves you more than, if you have kids, He loves you more than you love your kids. The, the, the God who would send His only Son to not just die in your place, but to be brutally sacrificed in your place, loves you. If there's any doubt about that, look at the cross. He loves you that much. You have to understand that as well. That God is for you. He believes in you. And He's rooting for you. And He loves you with everything He is. The third thing you have to understand is this. God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. This one's a tough one, isn't it? Because I've got dreams. I've got plans. I know where I want to go. Well, you kind of know where you want to go. You can see maybe a few steps into the future, but you can't see over the horizon. You can't see around the next corner. You think you know what you want, but God made you. He designed you. He created you with a purpose, with gifts and talents. He's given you a mission in this world, God's plan for your life is better than your plan for your life. What does it take to accept that, though? Humility, doesn't it? It takes humility. This is why here at the Vineyard we, we say all the time, we, we want to get to that place where we can say, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. This is what I think I want. This is where I think I want to go. But I surrender that to you because your plan for my life is better than my plan for my life. Super, super important. He's smarter than you are. He loves you with everything He is. He's got a better plan for your life than you do. He's made you with a plan in mind. And the last thing, the fourth thing, He's good. He's good. He's a good Father. He's not toying with you. He's not abusive. He's not fickle. He's not 
any of the things that when we look at a, a earthly father who's not doing a great job, he's none of those things. He's a good father who loves you and has good for you. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't allow us to go through difficult things any more than I, you know, I, I let my kids go through difficult things. I, 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 you know, it, we, can, we can wrap our kids in bubble wrap and put a helmet on them and try and protect them from every little thing that might hurt them, right? What do you end up with at the end of that? Neurotic children that never grow up, right? You got to allow them to, to work things out, to deal with the difficult circumstances of life because... That's part of growing up. And God, will, we live in a broken world and there are hard things that happen and there are mistakes that are made that impact us or that we make that impact us and others. And God doesn't insulate us from all of that, but that doesn't mean He's not good. In fact, He wouldn't be good if He did insulate us from all of that. He's good. He loves you. He's got a better plan than you do and He is smarter than you are. Guys, if we don't believe those things, we're not going to obey God. Because there will come times, whether we're reading in His Word and there is a way to live that's spelled out in there that we're like, but I don't want to. Or He nudges us by His Spirit to do something or move in a direction. I don't want to. I mean, you're, there are going to be moments. And if we don't trust God, if we don't have faith in God, and that's what tr faith is, trust, we're not going to do it. And we're not going to have faith in God. We're not going to trust God unless we understand these things. So this is where we have to start today. So here's what I want us to do. If you are, if you're in that place where I can see that, and I'd really like that, but I'm not there yet, or I'm kind of leaning in that direction, or God, I need your help. <laughs> that's, that, that's the kind of faith I want to have. I want to believe those things, not just in my head, but with all my heart. I want you to pray with me. Let's close our eyes. We're just going to do a little prayer in the middle of the message here and invite God to work in our hearts to make these things real to us. And you can just pray something along, along these lines in the quiet of your mind. Just say these words. God will hear them. Something like this. Jesus, I believe. But I struggle with my belief. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, help me to believe not just with my mind, but with my whole self that You are truly smarter than I am. Lord, help me to believe that You love me. That You believe in me. Lord, help me to believe that Your plan for my life is better than my plan for my life. And Lord, help me to believe that You're good even when life isn't necessarily good, that You are always good. Lord, make these things real inside my heart, inside my mind, and help me to have faith that obeys You and does what You tell me no matter, no matter what. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, that's our starting place for today. Uh, if you have a Bible, you might want to open it up to Joshua chapter 3. Um, we're going to be looking a little bit at the life of Joshua today. Um, let me give you some context for Joshua, though. 
So we had been studying the book of Genesis before we hit the pause button for this series. And so a little spoiler alert, Joseph, I think we got to Joseph in the story. Joseph ends up in, in Egypt. His family ends up, don't worry, there's a lot more dysfunction that you're going to just love as, as we go through. So not going to blow the whole thing, just the 60,000 foot view. So spoiler alert, Joseph goes to Egypt. His family ends up in Egypt. They survive the famine that hits, Egypt, that hits their region. Um, and then they kind of settle down in Egypt a little too long. And the Egyptians decide that they're going to take Joseph's family and, turn, and Jacob's family and turn them into slaves. And they end up in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. Um, at the end of that time, a guy named Moses comes along. God uses Moses to win the freedom of the Israelites. They leave Egypt. They head off into the desert and head back to the land that God had promised them that was their land. And when they get there, there are other people in the land that have moved in over that 400 years. And they're big people and they're strong people and there's a lot of them and it scares them. And so they come back, they send some spies in to check it out. They're like, nah. This is a little scary. Moses, we're not going in because Moses had led them there. And Moses is like, all right. So they head back out into the desert and they spend 40 more years walking around the desert. And uh, Moses passes away and Joshua is the next leader of the people of Israel. So he's right at the beginning of his leadership stint. He's still earning credibility in the eyes of the people. And God tells him it's time to go into the promised land. And he marches them up to the edge of the promised land. The Jordan River is right in front of them. It's at flood stage. Now, if I was Joshua, uh, what I would have said is, God, it's at flood stage. We'll go in a couple months because it, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Crossing river, rivers, especially flooded rivers, was a big deal in their day. And they had like million plus people to get across the river. And so, you know, military strategy, we're going to hit the pause button, we'll come back at it here in a couple months when the river's down to a trickle. But God said go, and Joshua goes. And then Joshua, or God's like, hey Josh, I've got this plan for you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the, the, the priests or the pastors, right? And I want you to take the box that the Ten Commandments are in, and I want you to, to send them out into the Jordan River as it's flooding, with the Ten Commandments, which, you know, and, and the, the Ark of the Covenant is the, the centerpiece of their whole identity, their faith, God's presence, all of it's wrapped up in this. And so I'm Joshua, and I'm thinking, that's a bad idea, right? I mean, we're going to lose the Ten Commandments, not to mention the priests, but I mean, more importantly, the Ten Commandments. Like, like they step out there and they get washed down the river. God's like, no, I want you to send them out into the river with that. Well, this is the, okay, trusting God enough to do what he says when it doesn't make sense. This is one of those situations. Joshua believes God. I'm going to read to you from Joshua chapter 3 and verse 13. It says, God tells Joshua this, and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. All right. You say so, God. All right. So this is Joshua is in this, this position where not only is he at risk of losing the Ten Commandments, killing a bunch of priests, but 
But he's also in a position where his entire leadership credibility, this is like early on, he needs some wins, right? If God doesn't come through, if he didn't hear quite right, well, it might not just, might not work out. But he does it in verse 15. They go into the river. The the, the, uh, priests walk into the river with the ark of the covenant. And it says, now the Jordan is at flood stage during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. Joshua trusted God enough to do what he said, even when militarily and strategically it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But he trusted God. And the reason we know about Joshua thousands and thousands of years later is because he did. And because of what happened. Because God came through. You know, when we step out and take a risk and trust God to do what He says, especially when it doesn't make sense, we get to see God come through in some really neat ways. A couple chapters later, Joshua and the the Israelites are around the city of Jericho. It's got a huge big wall and, and it's fortified. And again, if I'm Joshua and I'm leading the military, I've got my military advisors, we're, we're in camp, we're making plans to siege the city, you know, build ramparts up to the walls, and it could take a year or two to starve them out, but we're going to get them, you know, and they got it all figured out, and God shows up and says, here's what I want you to do. If you know this story, you know it's not, not a great military strategy, except that it is. Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark on the seventh day and march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. So we're going to have an extended worship session. We're putting all the worship leaders out front with their horns and they're going to, we're going to go around the city seven times and then have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Can you imagine Joshua having this conversation with his generals? So I know you guys have a plan, but this is what we're going to do. And if God doesn't come through, it could be embarrassing. But of course, God comes through and the walls come down. And again, we read about this thousands and thousands of years later. The story of Joshua is well known. Brings me to point number two, which is this. Trust is built on believing God and stepping out in obedience. My guess is that's not the first time Joshua obeyed God. It's not the first time that he saw God come through. It's probably the first first recorded one, but it's not the first time. It builds our faith. Remember from last week we talked about how transformation equals information plus application, as we take the information that we know about God and we apply it to our lives, as we know what He wants us to do and then we obey, and then we see Him come through, our faith and our trust in Him grows little by little, step by step. You know, same thing, instead of transformation, just put trust on the line. Trust plus knowing what God wants us to do plus doing it 
That's how we build trust. That's how we build faith. At some point, it's a decision though, isn't it? It's just like, okay, I'm going to step out. But until we do, we'll never know that kind of faith experientially. Point number three, trusting God is the secret to the best life. Is everybody in our culture wants to live the best life. You know, that's kind of, the, kind of the thing. How do you live your best life? Well, let me give you a little pro tip. You're not going to find the answer on Instagram. Your best life is found in the adventure of following God, in the adventure of trusting Him enough to do what He says and allow Him to lead your life. That's where it's found. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. I want you to memorize this verse this week. Write it down on a note card or a piece of paper and read it all week long. This may be at the top of my list of life verses. Like this is the secret to the best life you will ever live. This is what it says. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust God with everything you are and lean not on your own understanding. All right, so let me unpack that real quick. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Guys, there are plenty of situations in this life where we have to make a decision and our understanding is the best, you know, like, that makes sense, let's do that. And that's good. But there are times where God will weigh in on a topic or where the situation uh, is addressed specifically in Scripture or the Spirit will, will... prompt you to do something that is different than what seems best to your common sense. And when that happens, don't lean on your understanding, lean on God's understanding. We're not throwing common sense out the window and just kind of looking for something supernatural at every turn. But God will speak and he will speak into your life and in the situations that you face. And when he does, whether it's through his word or his spirit, don't lean on your understanding, but trust him. Remember, his plan's better than your plan. He's smarter than you are. Sees the beginning from the end. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. In other words, in every way, obey him. Do what he says. And he will make your paths straight. He knows the quickest way from here to there. He knows the purpose he created you with. He knows how to get from where you are to that purpose, and He knows the fastest way there. Guys, when we take charge and we're like, it's my plan, it's my way, I'm not submitting to God, we'd never say that, but you know, it's, this is my plan for my life, and I'm pursuing my plan for my life, and we end up breaking ourselves on the crooked road, don't we? We end up with with unnecessary pain and grief in our lives. The fastest way to where you're going, the best life that you can lead, is a life of faith, trusting God enough to do what He says, whether it's a command in His Word or the leading of His Spirit. And does it require us to be humble? Yes. Does it require us to be able to take risks and trust like Joshua and trust that he knows what he's doing? It does. But it's the life you were made for. How many of us are just sick and tired of getting up in the morning to go to work, to make the money, to pay the bills, 
to go to bed, to get up in the morning, to make... And we're just in the cycle. This is the life you're created for. It doesn't mean that we don't go to work, by the way. I'm not like giving you all permission to quit. And <clears throat> oh, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Um, but even in the midst of that, God has plans. He's got purpose. He's got, he's got a mission for you. But if we're not listening, we're not submitting, we're not trusting Him, we're missing out on that. And that is the secret to life. That is the secret to peace, knowing that God, God sees the beginning from the end, that he, he has a plan and a purpose for your life, that, that you are in His hands, and as you choose to obey Him, He gets you from where you are to where you're going better than you can get there on your own. That's faith. We think, we think faith is just believing that Jesus died on the cross for us. No, we're believing, you know, that's the kind of faith we have in the United States of America and, and most places. That's human beings, right? We, we, faith and trust is everything. And sure, we have enough faith to believe that Jesus died for our sins and that, uh, you know, he's going to get us into heaven and, and, and all that. But most of us don't have enough faith to do what he says. Not really. You're like, well, how do you know that, Chris? How do I know that? I know that because 2,162 times in the Scripture, more triple the number of times faith is mentioned or anything else, it talks about generosity, giving, how we handle our stuff, how God wants to use us to be the difference makers in our world. 2,162 times Jesus and, the, and, and God calls us to put Him first and to give Him our best. But in reality, 50% of Christians in 2023 don't give anything measurable to God. That's the truth. 50% of us. 30% of us give such a tiny amount. And I'm not saying the 50% never give anything. Most of us throw a buck or two in the, in the offering bucket at one point or another. But, but nothing that's measurable. 30% give a little bit, but not all that much. Not enough to, to impact their faith or their lifestyle. 20%, 20% are giving a significant amount or meeting the, the kind of the, the, the biblical tithe minimum. But 80% of us don't trust God with our finances. Now, this is awkward, isn't it? Everybody feeling awkward because the pastor's talking about money? But this is the truth. And the Bible and Jesus talk about it a lot. And if you missed previous weeks, you've got to understand where I'm coming from. I am not here to try and extract a bunch of money from you. And I'm not going to pressure you to do that. I'm going to teach you what the Bible says. And I'm going to invite you to obey God. That's all. And then you have to work that out with Him in prayer. And that's what we've been asking you to do from the beginning of this. But this is the truth. It's the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people carry the rest of us. 
Now, I don't share that to make us feel guilty or to say, you know, give, 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 give. I share that because the truth is 80% of us don't trust God in the arena of finances. And that's hard because that's the nerve that every one of us it's like going to the dentist. Sorry, dentist. We have several dentists in the church, but it's like, it's like, can we drill that tooth without any Novocaine? All right. But like I said, I can't not teach on this because the Bible talks about it so much and because, as we've covered in the last two weeks, this is the thing that competes in our hearts to be God. Brings me to point number four. First and best giving, as we covered last week, teaches our hearts to trust. When we turn our giving upside down, last week I talked about the fact that typically we, we spend first, it's our lifestyle and comfort first, then we'll get, or then we'll save some if we have any left, and then at the end of that, if, if there's any money left, we'll give a little bit. Right? But biblical generosity says, give God your first, give Him your best. It's the first check that's written, not the last. It's a sitting down and coming up with a priority list and making sure the first things are first, and God is first. And then we build our lifestyle around that. And you're either going to worship God, or you'll worship your lifestyle. And it's not that God begrudges you a lifestyle or Christians can't have nice things or anything like that. This is a heart thing. This is who is first. You or God. That's the point of this. And I hope you're hearing my heart in that. Now, biblically speaking, and I touched on this last week, biblically speaking, what's laid out is something called the tithe. Say tithe. All right. Tithe, you know, we'll talk about tithes and offerings when we uh, pass the buckets in church, and people are, there's a lot of confusion about what that means. So a tithe literally means, it's translated from the original language, tenth. A tithe is 10%. That's a tithe. Less than 10%, not a tithe. More than 10%, not a tithe. 10% is a tithe. And this is what God asked us to bring to Him first and best. And, and we see this all the way back to Abraham, Jacob. We see it written into the law of Moses. We see Jesus in the New Testament affirm that, yes, we should tithe. But that's a lot of money, isn't it? Like, that's a lifestyle-impacting amount of money, which is the point. That's the point. That it causes us to go, I might have to change something. I might have to make a sacrifice to put God first. That's the point. That's what it's supposed to do in here. And it opens up the door to so many other things because when you wrestle your money issues to the ground and put God first in your life everything else falls into place it's the hardest thing to surrender 
So 10% is a tithe. Anything over 10% is an offering. Does that make sense? Everything over, like 10% is not the goal. I have a buddy who I was talking to, we were having lunch the other week, and he's like, I hate the tithe. And I'm like, why? And I'm expecting, and I know him, so I'm kind of like, because I know he tithes, and, and, and we've had these conversations, and, and I'm like, why? And he's like, because it's another religious box to check. You know, people, people are like, I gave my 10% check, I read my Bible check. He's like, that's not the point of tithing point of tithing is and the point of giving is is to expand our hearts and generosity and to trust God with everything and I'm like you're absolutely right you don't have to hate the tithe because something happens when people get to that 10% I found this I never knew this before this week I looked this up 80% of the people who tithe so once you get to that 10% level there's something about it 80% of the people who do it Give more than that. Like they've discovered the joy and the freedom of generosity. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not something they have to do. It's something they get to do. I think God picked 10% because we need guardrails. We need rails to run on. And that is enough to make us go, <gasps> I'm going to have to analyze my life. I might have to make a sacrifice to make that happen. But God's goal is not 10%. God's not about checking boxes. His goal is extravagant generosity for every single one of us, that we would trust Him enough, that we trust Him with our provision, our security, all of it. And that does something to your heart. That brings freedom. Our hearts truly learn to trust. We experience the joy of generosity and purpose And at the end of the day, we become more like Him. Because God is so generous. And His goal is that we would reflect who He is to the world. In Malachi 3.10, Malachi, or Malachi as I like to call him, he's a paisan. Um, He's a prophet in the Old Testament. The children of Israel had stopped tithing. And God, if you want to go read this, is Malachi chapter 3. God gets kind of cranky with them about it. But then he, he makes them... He's, he's not happy. He's not happy. Then He makes them this promise. He, in Malachi 3.10, He says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So in the Old Testament, the storehouse was the temple. In the New Testament, the synagogue, or in Christian context, the church. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. That that my house will be well resourced. Now part of this is because God understood, (laughs) understands, because He's God, that that if, if the people of God do not prioritize the mission of of the church and and faith in our world, our world will spin into madness. And this is part of how we do that, and this is part of how we resource that. Test me in this, he says. Now, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Now, we're not supposed to test God, are we? Jesus says this when he's uh, being tempted in the desert. He says, don't test the Lord thy God. Except in this one area where God says, test me in this. You want to prove I'm real, tithe. 
and just see what happens. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. God says, I'll bless your socks off. He says in verse 11, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. I'll protect what you have. And the vines in, the, in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. I will increase your yield, he says. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. And I see in that, that, that statement the, you know, the throwback to the promise to Abraham. You will be blessed so that you can be a blessing. Not just to yourself, but to the nations. And they'll look on you and go, my gosh, what a blessed people. And what a blessing they are. And that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point. He says, test me. Learn to trust me. I've got you. If you're willing to, to adjust your lifestyle, I will show you how real I am. Give me your first and your best. And he even puts a number on it, 10%. Worship me first, not your stuff, not your safety, and not the God of this age, your comfort. But me. And see what I'll do in your life. Now, what he doesn't promise is you put in $1 and you get 10. It's not a money machine. It's a blessing machine. And the blessing comes with the freedom of your heart. And God, seeing that He's got a conduit of His resources for good, and you can't outgive God. And that's what you'll learn in the midst of all of it. And He says, watch me come through in your life. I want to share with you a, a video, a testimony of a couple in our church. Take a look. Let's give them a round of applause, huh? You know, really, at the end of the day, it comes down to who am I going to trust for my, my provision, my security, my future? Me or God? And let me just tell you that if it's you, there's a lifetime of anxiety ahead of you. If it's God, there's a lifetime of peace ahead of you. I was uh, talking to, uh, to somebody, or to Jen, actually, the, last night. She was telling me about or somebody in her group um, I'm not going to mention any names, but, but uh, there's someone in our group who last week I mentioned tithing. I didn't really teach on tithing. I just kind of mentioned it. And uh, she was sharing with the group that, that she felt really convicted that she was supposed to tithe. And, 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 and I was like, wait till this week. No, was like, and, uh, but at any rate, sat down and started figuring out what she needed to do and how to rearrange her finances so that she can put God first in her finances. And uh, the next day went into work, got called into the office, and they gave her a raise to the penny of what she needed to cover, what she had decided the day before to do. Now, I'm not making you a promise that that's going to happen for you, but I will make you a promise that God will bless your socks off, that God will show you how real he is and how much he has your life in his hands if you will make the decision to trust him in the arena of finances, not just up here, but in a very practical way. So you learn it in here. He, he will. He does every time. 
God calls us to put Him first in our finances, and He promises that He will take care of us. You know what? And the reality is, most of us don't believe that. Because if we did, 80% of us would be lined up to do this. We would. And that's why this is such an important series. And I know it's the elephant in the room we're talking about money in church. I got you. But the point isn't the money. The point is your heart and your faith. And guys, I even wrestle with this. We all wrestle with it. And then we'll grow comfortable and then we'll start putting our faith back in our stuff. And, 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 and we have to come back to this and we have to wrestle it to the ground. And we have to make sure that God is first. And that's what this series is really all about. And in the end, we get to do some amazing things in our community, which is cool. But it all comes back to trust. It all comes back to faith. Which brings me to the last point. God made the first move. God showed us that He believed in us before we believed in Him. He, in John 3, 16 and 17, it says, For God so loved the world, you can put your name in there instead of the world's, God so loved you that He gave. He gave. Our generous Father gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God is a generous God. He led the way. He knew we couldn't fix our own sin problem. And Jesus didn't, He wasn't crucified because He deserved it. He was crucified because you deserved it. And I'm here to tell you, you can trust someone who will give their life for you. And a lifetime of trust, a lifetime of faith starts with a step of obedience. You talk to people who are outrageously generous givers, people who are, are even tithers, and the, they, will tell, they won't trade places with you. They won't trade their 90% for your 100% because they've discovered experientially the faithfulness of God and it changes you from the inside out and they're not all rich some of them are but they're all blessed and I can't get them to tell their stories because they're like I don't want my left hand to know what my right hand's doing they won't but they'll tell me their story I'm like come on tell your story but it's story after story after story of God coming through showing himself to be real and as you experience God's provision over time, there's a peace that comes. And as you experience the joy and freedom of generosity, you start to believe God really does know what He's doing better than I do. And as you see God work practically and in undeniable ways in your life, it changes you. And honestly, it gets you on the road you want to be on. You just didn't know how to get there until now. Dave Ramsey, last week we talked about Financial Peace University, and if you've not signed up for that, we have a free subscription, $80 value for Financial Peace University to help you organize, get your finances organized to biblical principles. It's phenomenal. It's kind of like magic if you do it. It's not magic because magic, you just wave the magic wand. But this, you actually do the work, and it's kind of like magic. It 
Amazing things happen when you apply God's principles. If you would like that, write FPU on your Connect card and drop it off on the way out. We'll get you signed up for Financial Peace University free of charge. Anyway, Dave Ramsey, kind of an internationally known financial guru, also happens to be a follower of Jesus. He said this. He said, giving is the antidote for selfishness. He says, it's the hallmark character quality of those who win with money. One of generosity's biggest payoffs is something you may not expect, contentment. Givers are content because they know that stuff won't make them happy. They recognize that they have enough for themselves and enough to share. What a great place to be. In our chaotic, gotta-have-it world, genuine peace and contentment shine like a lighthouse. That is so true. This is the person we all want to be, but are afraid to take that step of faith to get there. Now, in this series, I'm going to call, call us all to financial obedience. I'm going to call you all to take a next step, all of us, including myself, to take a next step in the arena of generosity and obedience with our, our finances. I'm going to teach you. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to pressure you. I'm going to invite you to consider what God's Word says, to listen for His voice, and to respond accordingly. And as we do, I think we're going to see God do amazing things in and through our church and in our community, but more importantly, in your heart. The most tangible faith-building step I know of is obedience in the arena of stewardship. But what does this look like? What does this look like? Hey, in your pro, or in your uh, your book and in your program, you got this this card in your program that has a ladder on it. Go ahead and take that out real quick. And then on page twenty nine in your book, you have a corresponding ladder. I want to walk you through how to think about this from a practical standpoint. I want to bring this over here so our camera has a good shot and you guys can see. The generosity ladder. Now, I want you to, to do two things. I want you to identify where you are on this ladder, and then I want to invite you to identify where you want to be on this ladder, what steps you want to take as we go through this series. And I'm not asking you to do anything today other than identify, point toward, toward where you want to be. We're going to come back around in week six of this and, and get real with it. In the meantime, I want you to have plenty of time to process. All right, first rung on the ladder is right here, and it is occasional. Hey, it worked, all right. So an occasional giver. Most of us are occasional givers in one way, shape, or form. We'll throw a, a buck or two in the offering bucket, or maybe even more than that, as, as we're inspired, or if we have some money in our pocket, or whatever, we'll throw some money. We're, we give occasionally when it's convenient, when we have something left over. Most people who are hanging out in church have done that once or twice, or maybe more than that. It's occasional. It's sporadic. It just kind of happens when I feel moved. Does that make sense? Say yes. All right. The next rung on the ladder is what we call an intentional giver. So this person said, or says, I want to give regularly. And, and maybe they'll set a number, like I'm going to give $20 a week. 
or I'm going to give $50 a week, or I'm going to give $1 a week. I mean, it just depends on you and where you are financially and what you want to give, but I recognize the benefit and the blessing of the church, and I want to give back to God, and I'm going to give something intentionally. The next step on the ladder is what we call proportional. So when we talked about the tithe, the tithe is what? How much? 10%. It's a percentage, so it's a proportion. Now, the cool part about proportional giving is 10% of, uh, or 5% or whatever the proportion is. So let's say 5% of zero is how much? Right, God doesn't ask you to give what you don't have. That's, that's really, really important. So, but proportional giving is in line with how we're instructed to give in Scripture, 10%. All right? But you might be going, Chris, if I go 10% right now, my whole family's going to, we're going to foreclose on the house and we're going to be living on the street. And I just don't even have faith for that, but I want to have faith for that. And I want to take a step in that direction. I want to trust God. Set a percentage. Set a proportion. It's a step in the direction. And all the way along this line, we need to be looking up towards the top. Like, how do I get up there? How do I get up there? We're going to take a next step of faith in, in, in following God. The next, uh, the next rung of the ladder is tithing. That's the 10%. So it's proportional, it's intentional, but it, it's that biblical 10%. And I'm here to tell you, something happens at that 10% level I mean, we see that if 80% of the people who give 10% give more than 10%, they, there's something that clicks in at this point where, where you're like, you start to really find that momentum of generosity and freedom, right? And so that's that. And then there are a bunch of us, maybe 20% of us, well, 20% of 20% of us that are here. That's not the point. My friend was right. This isn't the point. This point, this is just to give us a place to kind of break our heart free. The point is extravagant generosity. Extravagant generosity. That, that when, you, when you get here, this, it's not like, oh, what do I have to give? It's like, God, what, can I, what do I get to give to? And how can I see you come through in that? And how can I be a part of what you're doing in our world? And you're not building your kingdom, you're building his kingdom. And he takes care of your kingdom. This is the point. Actually, this isn't even the point. This is the point. This is the point. Freedom from fear. Freedom from greed. A life where you're living real faith and you're not walking around with anxiety all the time because you're wondering how you're going to make it through because you know your Heavenly Father has you. And that's what I want for you. I think that's what you want for you. So what I want you to do is in both places, on page 29 here on the ladder, I want you to mark where you are, circle it. And I want you to set extravagant in your sights. I'm working my way there, but what steps, at least today, what steps do you feel like you can can take just fill in the arrows up and do the same thing on the card we don't want your name on the card we just want to be able to pray for you 
And this card is just kind of a, a way for us to be able to visualize that, lay hands on these cards and pray. Because God is going to be doing some things in your heart. This is not easy. But I think He wants to bust some hearts free. He wants to draw you into purpose that's bigger than you and wants your life to make sense. And so if you do that, you fill in the arrows on the, cards or the, on the card on what steps you feel like you you can take, at least for now. And maybe he'll call you to more or less by the end of this whole thing. I don't know, but at least for now, I want to be able to pray over these cards and over you as God does the work that he's doing in all of our hearts through this journey that we're on. And it all comes back to faith, doesn't it? Trusting God enough to do what he says. Let's stand. I want to invite you just to stick your hands out like this, like you're receiving a gift from God. I just want to pray a blessing over us before we worship. We're going to sing one last song as we do. Listen for God's Spirit, what He's saying to you. Write it down in your, in your book at the end too. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place right now? Lord, would you, would you give us the gift of faith? Lord, would you help us to, to believe you? Not just in our heads, but with our hearts and with our lives. God, I know that every single one of us wants to live a life of peace, a life of purpose, a life of blessing. God, and you're doing a deep work in us, and I pray that you would. Give us the ears to hear your voice. God, and fill our hands and our hearts with faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.